0: It's always with a little bit of mixed emotion uh, for me that we enter into a season like this next season that our church is going to be in, uh, this season of elder appointment. Um, It's it's mixed emotions because on the one hand, we only ever appoint elders because somebody is no longer going to be an elder. And we are, we're kind of losing one of the voices of godly wisdom that has been, a part of speaking into who we're becoming as a church, where God is leading us. But on the other hand, you're, you're, we're, we are opening ourselves up to a brand new voice of godly wisdom, of somebody else who's going to hear from God in a unique way and speak differently into who we are becoming and where God is leading us. And so we enter into this season that is quite a protracted, season of discernment, four months that it takes to find the person or persons that God might be inviting into that place because, I think you can appreciate this, it is an enormously important task to make sure that you find exactly the right person to play a role as important as the role of elder. We have to be crystal clear on what the qualifications are. And if you're a a member and you get our Finding Our Way podcast, you know what the qualifications are from this past Monday when Jeff Lockyer interviewed our departing elder, Rocco Maiolo. And they they walked through what kind of person we're looking for in a nominee to be considered for elder. We, We have it very clearly laid out so that we know exactly who we're looking for. That's sort of the point of the process. Um, It's not the only process like this in our lives. This is how we do lots of processes where we find ourselves picking a person for a particular role. I'm sure that every person in this room, at some point or another, either in your mind or maybe even on paper, has Settled on a list of characteristics of the kind of person that you think would be a perfect life partner for you in marriage. We, we do that romantically. We, we have a clear sense of the person that we're looking for so that we know when we find the person that we're looking for. I, I confess to having have written one of those lists when I was 18 years old, 19 years old. We do it when we hire, our our church is hiring a couple roles right now. Every time we hire a role, we have a, a deck of cards. We do this exercise called the card sort. We have a deck of cards that has like 38 different employee characteristics. And we sort through the cards and we say, okay, these characteristics are super important for this job. And these ones not so much. And this is exactly what we're looking for. And that's what this morning is all about. We've been in this series called Finding Your Voice, which is about what it means to become a voice of influence, especially in the community of faith. The kind of person who ought to have an influential voice, the kind of person whose voice should be influential in your life and in my life. And so far as we've gone through the series, we've, we've kind of looked more at the kind of voice that shouldn't be a voice of influence been the focus on the negative a little bit I mean let me draw the strings together the series last week Jeff had said the kind of person who shouldn't be a voice of influence is the kind of person whose inner motivation is driven by envy and selfish ambition the kind of person who would push someone else down to lift themselves up the kind of person who has an agenda and is going to try and push it through no matter the cost and sometimes no matter who gets hurt along the way. Jeff pointed out in James last week, the kind of wisdom, quote unquote, that comes from that sort of person isn't God's wisdom. It is worldly and spirit, unspiritual and even demonic And he rightly said, you can see it in people's lives even before you hear it in their words, but you can hear it in your words, which is, I think, what the first two weeks were about. Saying when you have the wrong inner motivation, then you have a hard time keeping control of your tongue. And you end up saying hateful and hurtful things to and about other people. You end up not giving people the dignity and honor and respect that they're due just by virtue of our shared humanity being created in the image of God. And for that kind of person, the tongue is like a fire that can do untold damage. That will destroy your own reputation and scorch the people who hear its words. That is the kind of person who shouldn't be a voice of influence in our lives or in our community. But the question then, Kind of hangs out there. What kind of person should be? What does that person look like? And that's what James picks up this morning. We're going to look at James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Two short verses where James packs into these two verses a full description of the kind of person who should, whose voice should kind of get turned up to 11 in terms of influence in our lives and in our community. He lays out the specific characteristics that we're looking for. And so this is where he begins. In James chapter 3 verse 17 it says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Now last week he was talking about the wisdom that is worldly and unspiritual and demonic. He says, no, no, by contrast, God's wisdom, a person who is speaking with God's wisdom, that person is, first of all, pure. Now, just like last week, he was talking about an inner motivation, envy and selfish ambition. This week, in saying pure, he's talking about an inner motivation. It was a word that, in the Greek world, was used to refer to items that had been specifically set aside for religious purposes. Anything that, that wasn't used for anything except worship, that was something that was pure. And James says the, the heart of the person who has to become, who ought to become a voice of godly wisdom, just the volume turned way up on their voice in the community in your life, is the kind of person whose inner motivation is not envy and selfish ambition, but whose inner motivation is the purity of their devotion to God. Just a a purity in their desire to live a life of loving and serving and submitting to and worshiping God. God. That is literally the only thing they cared about, this single-minded, pure devotion to a life that honors God. It's sort of um, what Jeff said last week. If you want your life to be most influenced by God, then allow your life to be most influenced by the people who are most influenced by God. This is exactly what James is saying. The person who is in a single-minded, pure way, just dialed in to the things of God. To loving God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. And living that out in a life of love for everybody else. And sort of humbly putting God at the center of everything in their life. And then humbly putting everybody else ahead of them. James says that's the essence of the person who who speaks with godly wisdom. Because that kind of person has... An impact on the community. This is the end of the passage, verse eighteen, James says this, peacemakers, he's still talking about people who are pure, completely and utterly devoted to God. Peacemakers so who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. He said, these are the kinds of people who have a single minded Pure devotion to loving God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. These people are the kind of people who make peace. Now we've said it before often and I need to say it again. Peace in this context is not the absence of conflict. Or the presence of some sort of inner tranquility in your soul. Peace in this context is the presence of. Of fullness. The fullness of the life of God. Well-being. Healing and hope. And wholeness. And holiness. Harmony in relationships. Joy in life. They are literally experiencing the fullness of the life that God has invited us to experience. When our lives are lived in a single-minded devotion to God. And James says these kinds of people who live with this. Purity of devotion to God. Everywhere they go, they make peace. They step into places where there isn't wholeness and fullness and holiness and well-being and harmony and joy and abundance. And that's what they make. That's what they leave behind. People experience more healing and wholeness and wellness and abundance for having interacted with this Person. They make wholeness wherever they go because it says they sow in peace. They themselves are living in the wholeness and the fullness of a life devoted to God. And so this is what they sow. They plant it everywhere they go, they're planting the seeds. Of well-being and wholeness and abundance and fullness and life. And when it matures, it says there is a harvest of righteousness. Righteousness is another one of those words that probably needs a definition. Because we usually think about the word righteousness as meaning a uh, good behavior. And that's not what it means, strictly speaking. Though, good behavior is righteous. Um, righteousness is... Behavior that is fitting and appropriate to the relationship. I'm in a relationship with my wife. I don't know if you knew that. But I have the obligation, the responsibility, the devotion, and the opportunity to live in righteousness towards my wife. Taking her on a date is righteousness. Leaving her notes is righteousness. Telling her how much I love her, how beautiful she is. That's righteousness. Folding the laundry and cleaning the bathrooms. That's righteousness. I'm- Sitting down at the table and talking about where our family is going. That's righteousness. Those are behaviors that demonstrate the faithfulness of my devotion to my relationship with my wife. And James says the person who is single-mindedly devoted to God. Who's living in the fullness and the abundance of the peace of God. Plants that peace everywhere. And what happens is that everywhere they go, righteousness springs up. People live more rightly in their relationship with God, more lovingly, more devotedly, more submissively, more worshipfully. People live more rightly in their relationship with themselves. They, They push away guilt and shame, and they embrace themselves as beloved of God just because of who they are. They live more rightly in relationship with each other. They push selfishness to the side. And instead they in humility put everyone else's interests ahead of their own. They live more rightly in relationship with the world such as it is. The word righteousness in Greek is the same word as the word justice. Justice is righteousness when lived in relation to the poor and the oppressed. And the marginalized and the forgotten and the ignored of the world, you become a voice for the voiceless. When, when someone with a single-minded devotion to God is allowed to sow seeds of peace, abundance, the fullness of the life of God, people live more rightly even with the planet itself. James says, this, this is the kind of person whose voice ought to get turned up to eleven. The one who is single-mindedly devoted to God. Who sows seeds of the fullness of the life of God. And because of whom people live more rightly in all of their relationships than they did before. So the question is, what are the characteristics of this person? How do you recognize this person when you see them? And that's what the heart of this passage is about. James says they are, first of all, single-mindedly devoted to God. And then he unpacks what that looks like with seven different adjectives, seven different descriptors to help us tangibly see what that person is really like. And I've, I've grouped those seven together into three overall kind of characteristics. Um. And so the first one is this. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, what I would call gentle. It's gentle. It says in James three seventeen, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is peace-loving, considerate, submissive. Those three words. Peace-loving. Hardly a surprise, given the fact that this is a peacemaker who sows in peace. But it's actually a different word. This is the Greek word that does mean the absence of conflict and discord and war and unrest. This is the, this is the word in Greek that means the person who brings things together. Who creates order and harmony. In relationship. Wherever they go, they don't they don't care like trail chaos and disorder and disruption behind them. They're not divisive and disunifying. Instead, they they breed hospitality and openness and, and friendliness and they bring people together. The peace-loving people, they're lovers, not fighters. They're uniters, not dividers. They're the ones who, when they leave, People feel more at peace about themselves. And more at peace in their relationships with other people. They, they're, first of all, they're peace loving. They're, they're lovers and not fighters. Because they care more about the relationship than being right. The second word that James uses is the word considerate. Now, I, I think probably I would prefer to use the word gracious. Gracious. Because for us, the word considerate, um, considerate is when you take your, you clear your dishes from the table. You you hold the door open for somebody, right? Considerate is knowing enough to not ask mom for anything within the first five minutes of when she walks through the door after work, right? That's considerate. That's not what James is talking about. What James is talking about is someone who is gracious. Someone who is non-combative someone who is not defensive, someone who is not volatile or or given to anger, even when they're being provoked. Somebody who responds graciously, even when they're being attacked. It's it's somebody who doesn't hold a grudge. They they forgive and they forget. The word gracious, actually, uh, this Greek word, is a legal term and the legal term is sort of for the person who is the opposite of the legalist who wants to stick to the letter of the law and throw the book at them and punish them to the fullest extent of the law. This person is the one who wants to take a step back and listen and understand a person's story. And know where they're coming from. And try and be reasonable and fair about why they were behaving the way they were behaving. And then to respond accordingly. That's this person. If the peace lover is a lover and not a fighter. The gracious person is the one who always responds with grace. And then the third word is submissive. Uh, literally translated it, uh, it says easily persuadable, and that kind of makes them sound like they're a pushover or they're gullible, but that's not what this word is. The word means not stubborn, not obstinate. This isn't a person who digs their heels in. This isn't a person who for whom it's my way or the highway. This is someone who's willing to listen. Someone who will. Look you in the eye and hear your point of view. Someone who will is actually teachable. Somebody who is actually willing to change their mind if what you say proves to be more true than what they already think. They're not somebody who's clinging to their uh, beliefs that they already hold. You could say they're um, open-minded. And tolerant. James says, you, "You find someone like that, someone who's a lover and not a fire, someone who always responds with grace, somebody who is open-minded and tolerant, who in that way, in every interaction, is gentle. Take the volume dial and turn up the volume of the voice of influence in their life, in your life. Here's the second thing he says, not only are they gentle, number two, they're generous. The next two words fit together. He says they're full of mercy. Wisdom that comes from heaven is full of mercy and good fruit. Uh, These two characteristics, one is internal and one is external. The first word, mercy, is an internal attitude. It comes, our English word mercy comes from a, a Latin word that I won't try to pronounce, but it's two words put together. And the first word is where we get our English word, misery, and the second word means heart. The person who is merciful has a heart that is Or sorry, the first word is misery, a heart that is driven and compelled to people's misery. It is somebody who is heartbroken over people's heartbrokenness, over the brokenness in their lives, over the brokenness in the world. It is in Greek, the word kind of slides over towards empathy. Someone who's able to crawl into someone else's skin and feel what it feels to be them. Someone who knows how to walk a mile in someone else's shoes and their heart goes out to the pain and the suffering of the poor and the oppressed and the forgotten and the ignored and the marginalized and those who are being trampled. Their heart is broken. But it's not enough for their heart to be broken, they are full of good. Fruit. What is a fruit? A fruit is the external manifestation of the internal invisible life of the tree. It's how the tree makes its life visible in a way that nourishes other people. That's exactly what James is talking about. The mercy manifests itself in thoughts and in choices and in actions that step into the gap and meet somebody precisely at the point of their pain. In order to meet their need. Because mercy that's kept on the inside is no good. We learned this in the fall. James chapter 2. Starting as verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says. Very mercifully. Very sympathetically. Very compassionately says. Go in peace. I. I pray you keep warm and are well fed, but you do nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? And the answer is none. Mercy has to manifest itself in the real, tangible, nourishing, need meeting forms of life. It has to produce fruit in the way that you behave. In other words, James says, the person who has a voice of influence, the person who speaks heavenly wisdom, the person who speaks on behalf of God is a person whose life manifests, not just gentleness in every interaction, but generosity driven towards the pain and the suffering of the world. And by the way, not just people you love, not just people you can pity, not just the so-called deserving of your mercy. No, 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 mercy. If you are full of mercy and full of good fruit, it is directed towards everyone, towards those to whom you do not feel love. Those who definitely do not love you. Those that others would call undeserving. James says, you find someone like that, turn the dial up on their voice. That should be a voice Of influence in your life. Here's the third thing the person is gentle, the person is generous. Here's the third thing the person is genuine. The wisdom that comes from heaven is impartial and sincere. The word impartial means like non judgmental, you don't make judgments about people. Based on all of the things that everyone makes judgments on people, based on. You don't lump people into categories based on race or religion, or gender, or sexual orientation, or socioeconomic status, or health, or ability, or whether they like you, or agree with you, or doctrine, or denomination, you don't put people into camps. You don't buy into, impartiality means, I don't buy into the tribalism of us versus them and and then, and then we we divide people into camps and then we prefer some and we judge others or we side on behalf of some and we side against others we show favoritism to some and prejudice against others james says no 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 the person who is impartial is the person who demonstrates a genuine unconditional indiscriminate reckless love for everybody the same no matter what they are genuine in their love they're genuine in their character the word sincere the word sincere means without pretense without putting on a show Without pretending to be something that you're not. Without putting on airs. um, Jesus called it hypocrisy. Jesus would refer to religious hypocrites as people whose Whose behavior did not match their beliefs. What they said they believed and the way that they behaved did not align. Jesus called people hypocrites when their behavior seemed geared and tuned to attract attention to themselves and to gain recognition from other people. Jesus called people hypocrites when they were self righteous about their own behavior and about their own standing before God, but they nitpicked everybody else's beliefs and everybody else's. They always had criticisms and critiques for everybody else. Jesus would call those people hypocrites, which in Greek simply means they're pretending to play a spiritual role when in reality, they are not. It does not align with the reality in their soul. By contrast, he says, people who speak with heavenly wisdom, people who speak in God's voice, on behalf of God. People that, where God speaks through their voice are people who are sincere. They live with integrity. Their lives match their words. They are transparently and authentically the real deal. They are the genuine article. James says, you find somebody like that. Somebody who's gentle. Who's a lover and not a fighter. Who always responds in grace. Who is open-minded and tolerant of other people's opinions. In every interaction, you find someone who's generous whose heart is broken over the pain and suffering in the world and who is eager to step into the gap and to do something to meet the need. You find somebody who's genuine, genuinely, unconditionally, indiscriminately loving and the genuine article, living with genuine authenticity and integrity. You turn the dial of the volume of their voice way up in your life. You turn them up to 11 and you let them be an influence for God in your life because what you have discovered is somebody who is single-mindedly devoted to God. I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. I want you to think about the people in your world. I want you to think about the people in your world and I want, to ask you, you want you to ask yourself, who in my world is gentle like that? A lover, not a fighter. Gracious in every interaction. Open-minded and tolerant and teachable. Someone who would genuinely listen. Who is that, who's that gentle person in my world? I want you to picture someone in your world who is generous whose heart breaks for the brokenness, the pain and suffering of the world, and who steps into the gap to meet those needs. I want you to picture somebody who's genuine, who loves people indiscriminately and always lives with absolute integrity. Who is that person in your world? Because if you will allow them To be a voice of influence in your life. Do you know what they will do? They will sow seeds of peace. Of well-being. Of wholeness. Of healing. Of abundance. They will invite you into the fullness of the life of God. And you will find yourself living rightly with God. In loving submission and service and worship. Living more rightly with yourself. Rejecting guilt and shame. And knowing yourself as beloved. More rightly with the people around you. Not in selfishness but humility and service. You live more rightly and justly in the world as a voice for the voiceless. And more rightly with creation itself. And suddenly you have begun to become someone whose own voice is getting turned up in the lives of other people and in communities like ours because you have become purely, single-mindedly devoted to God in Jesus Christ. That's the person you're looking for and you're looking to become. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, at the beginning of this season of appointing elders, it's not lost on me that this is how we launch into this season for our community. That this is exactly this gentle, generous, genuine person or persons, those are the ones That we're looking to invite into leadership in our community. But not just for the all of us, God. For each of us. Would you reveal those names and those faces of people. Whose voices we could turn up in our lives. So that we could begin to become those people as well. Make us gentle and generous and genuine, for Jesus' sake we pray, amen.